Welcome to a podcast for everyone. Practical conversations answering your questions about how to make websites and mobile apps work for everyone. This podcast series is brought to you by UIE's All You Can Learn, Rosenfeld Media, The Passiello Group, and O'Reilly. Today, Whitney Quisenberry will be talking to Lainey Feingold about structured negotiations. Hi, I'm Whitney Quisenberry, and I'm co-author with Sarah Horton of A Web for Everyone from Rosenfeld Media. Today, I'm talking to Lainey Feingold. Laney is a disability rights lawyer with an extraordinary record of landmark cases. She's also a California Lawyer of the Year for 2014, in recognition of her work that includes settlements with companies like Walmart, Bank of America, Weight Watchers, Major League Baseball, and the Safeway Grocery Chain, all of which have made their sites more accessible for people with disabilities. Hi, Laney. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Whitney. Thanks for asking me. Well, I love your work so much, and I've heard you do summaries of the kind of work you do, focusing on the settlements that you've reached. But it seems to me that a lot of the UX work we do includes what I might call internal advocacy. That is, when we're working to convince other people on our teams or in our companies that a new design idea will work. And we always seem to be looking for better ways to make the case. And Before I met you, I always thought lawyers meant lawsuits, but you're doing something quite different, using structured negotiations as an alternative. Can you start by telling us what structured negotiations are and maybe a quick example of how it works? Sure. Well, structured negotiations refers to a way to resolve legal claims without litigation. So most of your listeners are probably familiar with lawsuits or mediation or arbitration, And those all involve third parties helping the people with the dispute make a decision or come to a conclusion. Structured negotiations is a way to resolve claims working directly with all the stakeholders. So the way it works is we get a call from most often a blind person. That's usually our client base, but the method would work for other claims as well. We get a call and say... We recently did a settlement with Weight Watchers, and the person was a blind woman who's a Weight Watchers member, and she wasn't able to access the tools on the Weight Watchers site. They have an amazing set of digital tools to help people lose weight. And she wasn't able to reach the right people in the company to make it work, so you know, she called a lawyer, and we did a little research and found that this was really a health issue that impacted a lot of people in the community. We wrote to Weight Watchers. We said you know, this is a claim you really need to make your website accessible for people with disabilities, usable by people with disabilities. But rather than file a lawsuit, let's sit down and see if we can make it work talking with each other. And that's how we do it. So do people respond to that? Why would a company be willing to work with you? You know, Winnie, that is a very good question. And at the beginning, I first started doing law in this way 20 years ago. And we had been approached by a blind lawyer who was an expert in tax issues and finance issues. He had written a book, yet he couldn't use the basic technology of the finance industry, which was, and still is, the ATM. So we got this situation, oh, blind people can't use ATMs, but the ADA was new. There were no accessible ATMs in the United States. We thought, hmm, maybe we should write to a couple banks and see if we can work with them on a solution. And it worked. And I used to think it was luck, but now I've been doing it for 20 years. We have some of the biggest institutions in the United States. And I think that it's a viable method. And I think it works because when approached in the right way on these kinds of issues, 
large institutions can say, hey, you know, I didn't really think about that. And litigation is extremely expensive for all sides. Let's see if this thing can work. So you said something at the beginning about how instead of having a third party making the decisions, you got to work directly together. Does that mean that everybody gets to sit around the table together and work? Because I've been an expert on some legal advocacy work, and it was really frustrating that I wasn't allowed to be in the room. Yeah, it's funny you mention that, because I think the way that structured negotiations brings expertise to the table is one of its strongest qualities. Too often in legal claims, you know, the basic idea of litigation is people are opposed to each other. There's one side and the other side. And both sides usually need expertise. And so each side has to hire their own expert. And that expert has a very defined role, when they can speak, what they can write, what are the circumstances where they communicate their expertise. In structured negotiations, we really try to always think of it as a round table. And so for you know, web consultants, for example, we really think it's important for a company to feel comfortable with the consultant that they hire because every corporate culture is different and there's a lot of great consultants out there, but they wouldn't all work well with every company. So in our process, we try, and in the best cases, it works this way. You know, we bring our expertise and the client's expertise by saying, here are these experts. Why don't you see who will work best with your company? So you're not just coming to a decision about how to solve a problem. You're actually helping them get the skills they need and the experts they need to help them solve that problem? Well, with the ATMs, when we started, there were no talking ATMs in the United States. And so the blind team, I like to call it a team, although I'm not much of a sports person, you know, really helped the companies understand what makes something usable for a blind person. And the developers and the technology people were thrilled to have that input. And that's been my experience throughout. You know, the people who are doing the work, they want the web to be available for everyone. They want the ATMs to work. And having especially the usability side of it from the blind users was completely critical. Now with the websites, you know, we use WCAG 2.0 level AA as a standard. So we know going in that that is what we think the companies need to do. But there's many situations where you can have WCAG 2.0 AA compliance, but you still need the user feedback. I mean, we did negotiations with the major credit reporting companies in the United States to make sure that blind people could get their credit reports in accessible formats. And they had a very unique CAPTCHA at the time. And we had 19 different blind people testing it on a whole variety of configurations. And so the process allows for that kind of involvement of the people directly affected. That's really great. It's a little like participatory design where we go from we're designers and we know what you can do to we're usability experts and we've worked with enough users to be able to represent them to actually letting the users be part of the process. Yes, as much as possible. I mean, I've just seen so many aha moments or light bulbs going off when, you know, the developers, the designers, the content writers actually get to meet the consumers who are using their site in different ways. It sounds like early usability when we would make what we called highlight reels. You know, we'd make videotapes of pieces of the usability sessions just for the aha moments, just to try to bring it home. And I knew that we'd sort of tipped over a corner once when I was working with a team and we had done 
some recording and I said, you know, what would you like to do? And they said, could we just sit and watch? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they said, what you said is great, but we're learning even more by being able to see it directly. And I thought that was a big moment for me in my work, thinking about how we bring people together. So it sounds like you're both trying to solve a problem, but also creating relationships. I mean, maybe not with those individuals forever, but between a development team and a company and the people they work for. Yeah, relationship building is really a critical part of it. And in some ways you could say, well, it's not really fair for any one blind person or one deaf person to be a stand-in for all blind people and all deaf people. But in fact, a lot of people have never met people who, you know, use a computer without using a mouse or, you know, can't listen to the video unless it's captioned. They just never had the experience. Does your relationship with the company go on past the settlement? Yes. So we write the letter and when all works according to how we would like it to work, we have meetings and then there's language drafting exchange. We have a settlement agreement. And that agreement at the end of the day looks very much like an agreement as if we had filed the lawsuit. It's just we skipped all that procedural nuttiness And then, like a litigation settlement agreement, eventually they do expire, but we do continue the relationship. And, you know, we're working with very big companies with a lot of digital content, and sometimes there's backsliding, but we have the relationship there to do a quick correct, you know, if something goes wrong afterwards. It sounds great. Do you find that solving one problem actually opens the door to their being able to not cause so many problems in the first place? We always have this idea of, we'll do the pilot project, and that will show them you know, how to do better usability or better accessibility. And sometimes we get to see whether that works and sometimes we don't. I am a complete believer in the pilot project or, you know, we call it baby steps. I would say probably 50% of our cases, we have had to take small steps first to get the company comfortable with doing the work and to dissolve the fear factor, which is very present in a lot of these issues. They don't know, oh, if we offer large print, how many people, is it going to be too expensive? Or, you know, we recently announced agreements with major pharmacy chains for talking prescription information. And, oh my God, what might happen if we do this? And, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. That's okay. We can take it slowly. It's another good thing about this process. We can take the first step. Good example of that is Major League Baseball. We did a deal with them. They've been great negotiating partners. We were representing the blind community, and the focus of the first level of work they did was their website issues, mostly affecting blind people. We did a second agreement with them, extended that first one as the mobile app became more popular, and now they have a very good mobile app. And then this year, really directly unrelated to us, but I like to think having something to do with us, they have announced a great captioning program because they just got jazzed about accessibility and they're just really doing a great job. It's awesome. It sounds like it takes a combination of patience and persistence. So what skills or qualities do you need to be successful in this style of working? Well, it's funny you say patience and persistence because if structured negotiations had a mascot, it would be the stone lions that sit outside the 42nd Street Library in New York, whose names are patience and persistence. And they were named that during the Depression by the mayor who felt those are qualities that New Yorkers should have. And I think they're qualities a negotiator should have. 
in terms of the patients, you know, a lot of lawyers feel patience is weakness. And if you give extra time or you're not insistent on holding to deadlines, somehow you're not protecting your client's rights. I put an adjective in front of patients and call it active patients for that reason, which really just means you're not waiting around, twiddling your thumbs, hoping the person will do the right thing, but you're recognizing that in a large institution, and even in a not so large institution, change takes time. And there's a lot of cultural factors that you just can't come in and say, okay, overnight, snap your fingers and, you know, usability is going to be a principle of this institution. So active patience is key. Your website talks about two other words that I really love. One is grounded optimism and the other is confidence and trust. Yes, grounded optimism. I actually stole from someone I know named Gil Friend, who's a sustainable business guy. And he wrote a piece on grounded optimism. And I asked him, can I take that for structured negotiations? And basically, that's kind of the same thing in terms of putting the adjective active in front of patients. It's not being optimistic, like, oh, everything's rosy. And if we just wait long enough, everything's going to work out. But it's grounded in strategy. And that if you take the right steps, you can trust, and here's where trust comes in one way, that it's going to work out. I mean, I believe in negotiations. And if you didn't, it's not all smooth sailing from the first time we write the letter. Even the companies we have the best relationships with didn't start out, oh, thank you so much for writing to us. You know, we're really glad to have a lawyer on board here. No, but, you know, if you believe in the process, then you can weather the inevitable downturns that are going to come along. I love that you're taking such a long view because it's really nice to see someone who can see this not as a day-by-day win, but something that happens over months and maybe years. And I really think that's a quality that we need more of in UX, which is being willing to say, just because it isn't perfect today doesn't mean that we can't take baby steps that are accumulating. I think the thing we worry about is that there'll be baby steps today and then they'll be backsliding and then, you know, it takes 15 more baby steps to get back to where you were. Well, I think the key is to hold on to the big goal. I was actually talking to my husband about this because he writes about activism and I was talking about this whole baby step thing and is it somehow falling short because another piece that I think has really helped structure negotiations is this idea of appreciation and appreciating the baby steps. Because when we first worked on the talking ATMs with the banks, Bank America had 15, Citibank had five, Wells Fargo had 10, and we did these press releases. Oh my God, congratulations. And that was, you know, out of their whole fleet. And now every single one of those banks has every single ATM that's accessible to blind people. So I think as long as you hold on to the far goal and don't quit till you get there, I think the baby steps is a good strategy. You know, you mentioned appreciation. Laura Packer, who's a storyteller and the wife of my co-author on Storytelling for User Experience, talks about appreciations. And one of the things that she gets people to do when they're working on stories is she'll get one person to tell a story to another. And instead of critiquing it, that person has to give the person telling the story an appreciation of it. What did they like in it? What did it move them to feel. I sort of love that because it let us turn off that little critic that sits on our shoulder and yaps in our ear and just let us sit back and think, what's good here? Because her point is that 
a storyteller with a brand new story they're working on or anybody with something brand new they're creating doesn't really need someone to critique them. They need someone to tell them what's working well so they can build on it. Yeah, boy, I like that. Because I think, as you know, I'm trying to write a book about all this, and it is a whole new thing. And, you know, as I get feedback from people, I'm like, wow, you have to be confident that you'll get to the end. So dare I ask when the book will be done, or are you like the rest of us authors on the, I don't know, I'm working as fast as I can plan? Actually, I'm trying to say I'm staying in the present, and right now in the present, I'm writing the book. So that's about as far as I can go with that. We'll have to come back to you when it's further along and see where you are in a future present. So I just want to ask you one other thing, which is that when we are thinking about doing advocacy in our own work, just in any other kind of design work, do you have any tips for us that you can think of on how we could apply the principles of structured negotiations to just the day-to-day work of designing a product? Sure, because I think advocacy skills and strategy are pretty much the same in whatever venue they're being applied to. And so I think a lot of these traits that we've talked about come into play when you're negotiating with your own side and your own team. And I think that this is one thing writing the book has taught me when I can sort of take the long view and look at all the cases. Usually when people aren't readily doing something that you want them to do, there's a reason for that. And I like structured negotiations because it allows us to tease out that reason. When you sue somebody, the other side has to defend and say what they're doing is right. And there's really no chance for like a conversation about, well, you know, I'd like to do it different, but I'm afraid of this. So I think that would apply in any situation to just try to, you know, open up the communication to understand, well, what is the issue that's blocking us from going further? So it sounds like we need to understand the motivation on our teams and partners and stakeholders just as much as we need to understand the motivations for users. I think so, because, you know, there could be people thinking, well, how many people are really going to use it this way? Do we really have to work? You know, there's certain things. And if people are willing to express it, then it can be addressed. I mean, we had a problem with the ATMs at the beginning because everybody was counting the precise number of users at each ATM and, you know, where are the users? And, you know, they didn't take into account the fact that when ATMs themselves were first introduced in the United States in 1969, the industry had to do a huge amount of work with users to get them comfortable trusting a cash machine with their cash. But there wasn't that same kind of, you know, user handholding when they first came online for blind people. Yeah, I'm working with a company on their website, and it's a news site, and we suddenly realized that it wasn't just about saying, oh, this is accessible, or this is usable, or this is a better app, because if you're already someone that reads news or gets cash or, you know, goes to the baseball game, you've found a way to do it already. Maybe it's not a perfect way. And so we have to actually convince you not just that it's good enough, but that it's better than what you've got. You know, that it's an improvement and that it will actually be easier for you. It'll improve your life in some way to try this now improved website. Yeah, well, that is so true for the disability community because people are so used to having to create workarounds. I mean, for the talking prescription issues, I mean, the things that people do to figure out, you know, one rubber band is this prescription and two rubber bands is that. And 
you know, in this day and age, it's just no excuse for that. But people have gotten used to doing it. Right. So we're trying to help people give up complicated old ways of doing things in favor of nicer, newer ways. Huh. Yeah, well, it takes education on all sides. Well, that is a lovely view for the future, I think, which is the idea that we could actually collaborate instead of just fighting our way through every problem we come to. And I love the idea about learning from how people solve problems that are similar, but in different fields and, you know, kind of building on it because we're all people. Absolutely. I mean, I've learned so much, you know, listening to you, Whitney, in conferences and presentations and how usability works and how the whole field works. And I think I've tried to bring, you know, some of those learnings into our relationships with our clients and, you know, when they're meeting with the companies and trying to encourage the companies about not to think of accessibility off in some corner, but, you know, do you already have usability people and let's integrate these issues into something you already have. Yeah. Boy, that sounds like a better win, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, I see that we've been talking for a while, so I wanted to say thank you so much, Lainey, for joining us. If you folks who are listening are interested in following Lainey's work or in learning more about structured negotiations, we have links on our website, but you can follow her. She's at LF Legal on Twitter, and her website is lflegal.com. There are wonderful summaries of the settlements that she's worked on, but also some great descriptions of how she works and what kind of work she does. And thanks to all of you for listening in, and also a special thanks to our sponsors, UIE, Rosenfeld Media, and the Paciello Group for making this series happen. Be sure to follow us at A Web for Everyone at Twitter. That's at A Web for Everyone, all run together as one word. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for A Podcast for Everyone. This series is a companion to the book A Web for Everyone, co-authored by Sarah Horton and Whitney Quisenberry. Be sure to tell us what you want to learn next at awebforeveryone at gmail.com. This podcast series is brought to you by UIE's All You Can Learn. UIE's All You Can Learn will give you the skills and techniques you need for a competitive design advantage with 24-7 access to UX experts and topics. Rosenfeld Media. Rosenfeld Media offers unequaled UX expertise in print and in person. Their experts consult, teach, and write books like a web for everyone. The Passiello Group. The Passiello Group helps organizations make their technology accessible to everyone, including people with disabilities. As always, thanks for listening.